Hello, everyone, and welcome to Define. Today, I'm very happy to introduce our guest, Katie Anderton. She and I have been friends for years, and we've been through a ton. She has been there for me in my absolutely hardest moments, and hopefully I've been with her on some of them, even though her life's freaking crazy, as you're about to find out. And I didn't meet her till after the part one through 15 of the craziness. Um, welcome, Katie, and I'm super excited to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Can you share just kind of a little bit about yourself before we yeah. dive in? Yeah, so I'm originally from Pennsylvania. I'm from right by Youngstown, Ohio. Um, I moved to Utah when I was 18. Um, currently, I live in Utah County uh, with my husband and my cat, Ozzy. And she has an Instagram for Ozzy, and it's adorable, so you should follow it. Yeah, <laughs> Katie, I just kind of want you to take the reins and dive in on what defining moment you wanted to talk about today. Yeah, so I feel like the defining moment for me in my life was when I left Pennsylvania to come to Utah. At that time, I had been in a really abusive friendship, relationship, whatever you want to call it. He shot me. And so then I decided this probably wasn't a stellar idea to stay in town. Um, And I really loved Utah. I lived with a Mormon family for a time. I was really good friends with their daughter. And they told me about colleges out here and about how some of them were open enrollment. So I applied. I came to Utah with six suitcases, $600, and I started over. And so I feel like my defining moment was getting away from my family because both my mother's family and my dad's family have larger than life personalities. Um, My dad is Italian American and his family is a part of the Youngstown mafia. My grandfather is in prison for murder. um, And that was a really defining thing that like I had to grapple with as a child because I'm very close to my grandfather still still am to this day and having to grapple with my father's high legacy of being loan sharks running moonshine you know all these different things being uh in the mob like there was just a lot of personalities and there was a lot of moving parts as i said my grandfather killed a woman that i knew and i loved so much And he did that when I was six years old, and it was traumatizing. And so when I was growing up in this community, I knew about everything that was going on in my family. And my grandfather wasn't the first person to kill anyone. My Aunt Fanny killed her husband. And so there was just a lot of, like, darkness, per se, on my dad's family. Or not darkness, but just like just a lot of moving parts and a lot of legacy and a lot of feelings. And then my mom's family is Pennsylvania Dutch. And my mom and her family, I I would say very politely, at times my grandfather, my mom's dad, he reminds me of like Beverly Hillbillies. 
because the man bought a brand new Cadillac every two years because he was a self-made man. He'd done really well in business and construction. So he would buy brand new Cadillacs almost every two years, but then he would go mudding with, with the Cadillac as like a christening. And it's like, who takes a brand new Cadillac and decides we're going to go mudding with it. Like it's just bananas. And so my mom's family just also had overarching legacy because like in our town, my mom's family has lived there for the last like 300 years. And majority of the people that live around my mom are related to us because as the farm got passed down through generations, they just like kept handing out pieces of the farm to different descendants. And so both my parents, while exceptionally different cultures, they had these like overshadowing legacies that I felt the weight of every single day. Because for my dad, there was this grappling of like, who am I as a person? Am I good? Because like, I think that's sometimes the narrative we tell children is like, especially in like Disney movies, like you're either good or you're bad. And I think I really struggled with that with my dad's family because I didn't know if I was good or bad because like my grandfather was a huge part of my childhood. He helped raise me. He was a father like figure to me. And then he killed this woman that I loved so much. And, and I knew at a very young age in such a horrific way, I like could not fathom why or how, and like, if he could snap, could I? And so like, there was just a lot of like questions that I had and because of the craziness of my childhood of different events, you know, such as my grandfather going to prison and other things that happened, I didn't have the time to figure out what that all meant to me because not only am I feeling this overwhelming weight of a legacy I'm getting thrown at things as a child that in that moment I couldn't I couldn't I wasn't in a place that I could emotionally deal with it and so once I got to Utah and I married my husband I started realizing like I had PTSD pretty bad I was having nightmares Things were upsetting me. I was having triggers the last few years. I really have spent the time to figure out how my childhood defined me and how all the working pieces of my childhood defined me with the events and how that all plays into me as today. Um, When I was eight years old, my aunt's hair salon was held up by a guy with a gun. I had nightmares about this a year or two uh, ago, and I kept having nightmares about being held up at my aunt's store, but I didn't remember it actually happening, like in real life. Like, I was like, I don't remember this actually happening. I don't know where this plays in. 
And so finally I had to like, my therapist was like, go ask someone, like go ask your mom if she recalls like such an event. And so I went to my mom and I was like, Hey, so I keep having nightmares that I'm at my aunt Ree's salon and there's a guy in a green van with a long rifle pointing out into the salon. And I just remember my aunt and her like fellow, you know, her employees yelling at me to get to the back of salon. And I was like, do you, do you know why I'm, I'm having these nightmares? And my mom was like, oh yeah, that happened. Um, we just thought because you were eight, you would forget. And I was like, no, I'm having these terrible nightmares about this going on. And like, I can't figure out like why. And so like, there's a lot of that where it was just like, things happened to me as a kid and like as an adult in a safe space in a place that I can explore these I'm like having these memories and I'm like holy cow like did this happen like do I need to go talk to someone and so like I'll go to my mom or someone else in the family and they'll be like oh yeah that happened so it's just it's a it's a cluster oh my gosh so Sorry, I was on mute because I'm just saying, oh my gosh. And I've heard most of these stories already. So I'm like, brace for this. So thanks for 10 minutes. And we've talked about murder, being held up, being shot, leaving family legacies, mafia stuff. Yeah, fun episode already. You've been diving into trying to discern and figure out what's a memory and what's PTSD and what's normal life. What's been one of the biggest struggles for you trying to just decipher? how the trauma is affecting you and how do you even start approaching it when there's so much there to uncover? I feel like, and as my therapist says, like I have complex PTSD. And so like, they're all just tied together. This is a trigger. I don't know why. Can we explore like why this might be a trigger when my husband and I were first married, he tried to go behind like a grocery store Um, And I tried to bail out of the car because as a child, I was always told that that was like a thing that like people would do if they were going to kill you because there was like lack of cameras behind a place. And so my husband is pulling behind the Winko and I'm like trying to beeline it out of the car. And he's like, what are you doing? And it's like, oh, I don't, I don't know why that I respond in this way. And so it's kind of figuring out, like, why do I respond this way? What's the main difference between complex PTSD and, and regular PTSD? And I guess regular is the wrong word, but you know what I'm saying. Like, what's the difference between complex and PTSD? So PTSD is typically tied to, like, one, maybe two event. But complex is really common in children that have long time abuse, POWs, those kinds of things. And so because I don't want to say abuse because like that'll upset my mother. And I think they did a great job given what they were handled. There was just a lot of things that happened to me from like six to like an adult that just was continuously traumatizing. When you're dealing with unraveling so many moving pieces that you're not even sure where they exactly come from, how do you cope with that? 
a lot of patience. Lately, I've been having a problem with like ridiculous loyalty to people who shouldn't have my loyalty. And I think like a lot, like I'm having to be patient with myself right now because that's a, that's a belief system that I have because of the PTSD that I've uh, had in my life and the trauma that I've had. And it's being patient with the fact that like, I don't have the answers right now, but hopefully down the line, I will have the answers. Oh, that's a good perspective. It's, it's become not a, Oh no, what now it's okay. What now? Uh, patience is just something. And I don't know whether it's cause like my husband has ingrained in me to like be more patient with myself. And so I don't, I don't know if that's like because of my husband being a great example to me. What would you, what would you say is the hardest part about being patient with yourself? I think the hardest part about being patient with yourself is not getting angry when it's not happening in the time frame you want it. Stepping away from that legacy, how has it helped you? How has it hurt you? Kind of talk through that impact after being away from home like this. It really showed me like what part of the legacies was something that I wanted to keep. Because, like, my grandmother, my grandma Moro, like, it was at times hard to look at this woman and think, because she was, like, five foot two, maybe 100 pounds soaking wet, you know, very small. She would always make me these little Italian biscottis that were great. And it was hard to, like, look at this woman and be like, oh, my God, she ran moonshine for the mob. But, and you know what I mean? And it was just like hard to look, look at these people in my family for like the genuine humans as they are. And what's nice about stepping away is like you get to figure about like what part of the legacy you want to continue on and like what part of the legacy is like is not serving you. Because like I'm never going to be a lone shark I don't know if my grandfather would approve said things because he was a lone shark, but it's like, that's not serving to me and like my family's legacy. And I don't feel that because like, I think given my father's culture and my mother's culture, there is this sense of loyalty and there's this sense of um, honoring your family and so stepping away from that, it kind of takes that emotional sting out of serving that narrative so that you can have a more genuine like, okay, this is this is going to be something I carry on. This is not, you know. Yeah, you're making a choice. It's not just happening. I see that a lot with like my family because like I'm the only one that's left Pennsylvania and... <laughs> Sometimes I see them and it's just like some of my relatives are just frustrated because and they're like, but that's just life. And it's like, no, you you get to make a choice. And I sympathize like sometimes it's hard for me to remember, like being in the thick of it. It doesn't feel like a choice. No, that makes sense. Kind of being stuck in any situation. It's hard to see yourself out. What gave you the courage to even step out 
in the first place? What, what was the point where you thought, screw it, I'm out of here? Well, physically it was being shot. That was horrific. I think to decide to leave some of the culture behind, trying to decide what life will look like for me. And like, because like some of the things about my parents' cultures on both sides is really unhealthy, especially for someone like me who has anxiety, who has PTSD. Like it just wasn't, it wasn't healthy for me. What really like kickstarted it physically I left. And then like emotionally I left about a year or two later and my mom's family has some contention within it. And I was hyper-focused on certain family members, social medias. And I was trying, cause like in my mom's family, they'll be like, Oh, did you see so-and-so comment? And they'll, they'll kind of make estimations of like, what is that play? Um, and so I started hyper-focusing on these family members' Facebooks that I was at odds at the time with. It became just so unhealthy for my anxiety and my PTSD that I physically deleted a lot of my family off of Facebook. And I'm upset. Like, I still have family members to this day that are upset that I deleted them off my Facebook. Um, even though I've tried to explain them multiple times, like it really wasn't healthy. I was stalking your Facebook. Like I was checking it three to four times a day, trying to decipher things. And so that was, that was my wake up call emotionally to be like, Oh, I need to really review this stuff. No, that makes sense. What, what advice would you have to someone who's trying kind of discern what you did okay, what's part of the culture that I want to keep? What's part of the life that I want to keep? How do I step away? But, you know, and if they want to stay a part of it to some degree, what what advice would you have for someone struggling with that? For me, it's been really great to break down my family's culture and like, because I'm really big into like genealogy and my heritage and all those things. And so really researching like, things that we're doing and like the why behind it and then assessing like, okay, is this serving my mentality now? No. All right. This is going, you know? And so it just really depends. Looking back, do you, do you feel like you made the right decision? Do you feel like it's helped define your life in a better way? Who that is something I honestly still have nightmares about. I have nightmares um, where it's like, if I would have stayed, I think I would have married someone from my hometown and I would have lived, you know, a good life, but definitely not the life I'm living now. I feel like I'm living a better life given my circumstance now. One being is that the area I'm from is dying. There's not many jobs and it's it's really hard economically to live there. So I have a lot more opportunity in Utah, which is like basically gets me over the hump of like missing home and missing because like that place is still my home. You know, is there things about it 
that drive me insane? Absolutely. But that place is still my home. Like that is the place I miss terribly. And so it's just, it's just all that. No, that makes sense. And sorry, that's not our question. <laughs> so I appreciate you trying to answer that. Do you think you'd ever want to move back at some point? You mentioned like economically, it's not doing well, but is there a part of you that hopes you can go back and is a kind of the person you are now? Sometimes I have to honestly admit I have a great life in Utah. Cause like I have a great career politically. I'm on the political scene. I love Utah County politics. It is challenging and it is everything I want. And my husband's family is also really great. Nate's dad and his stepmom and my stepmother-in-law's family has really taken us in. And honestly, I miss it. However, I do enjoy my life here a lot. And I, I don't know if I would, I don't know if I would leave everything I have here to go back home. For the times when you were first here and starting a new life, what helped you get through that? I can't imagine how lonely and frustrating that would be. I didn't know anyone for a long, for probably about, because I didn't meet my husband until four or five months after I'd been living here. Um, You can ask the director of my school program. I cried almost every single day, every single day. I wanted to go home. But my mom said I had to finish out the semester. And so I was like, fine, I got to finish out the semester. And then then when I got home for Christmas, she was like, well, finish out the degree because it's so cheap. So I was like, fine, I'll finish out the degree. It was an incredibly lonely. I lived, um, I don't know if you know this. I lived, so I went to the LDS Business College. Newsflash, I'm not Mormon still. That's not my thing anymore. But um, at the time, I was a Mormon. And because I was from out of state, the Mormon church was like, oh, hey, we kind of have these dorms available in this hotel that you can stay at. And I was like, sweet, I'm going to be staying at a hotel. I'm going to have a maid. Life's going to be good. But when I got there, like it was the first four four floors of the hotel and like they had it redone it since the 70s. So it was super dated. It was not a very good living condition, um, even though it was a hotel. And so it was just like I just mostly like chilled out at my dorm or like hanging out with people uh, that I would meet because like a lot of the people that lived in the dorm were from out of state or out of country. And so it was really great to meet just so many different people in different walks of life. When did, was it when you met Nate, you decided to stay or was there another point that Ruth thought, okay, I can stay here for longer than my degree. It was, it was when I met my husband because like, I was well when I met my husband, I thought he hadn't been on a mission. So I was like, oh, he's probably gonna leave in like six months. Because a lot of people who went to the LDS business college, they were either waiting to go on a mission to be old enough, or they had just come home and he was in the latter category. He had just come home. And after I met him, I knew pretty quickly 
that we were going to be getting married, even though we dated almost a year, um, we knew pretty quickly that we were going to get together. And so that was like, I was like, fine, I'll stay. You know, I met this great guy and he's perfect. I had been talking to other guys before I met Nate. And like, honestly, as like guys come, like I went on a couple dates with this one guy and he made us, and I don't, mind you, not a Mormon. I don't know much. I joined the Mormon church when I was uh, like 16, 17 years old. So my understanding is very limited. He would make us call him Elder uh, Fred. That isn't his real name. But I later found out that was because he was under the impression he was going to be an apostle someday and so that was him like basically power tripping and we went on a couple dates and I really liked this guy he served in Pittsburgh near my home he knew some things and then we went on our last date that I remember going on with him and he was like I really like you and you're really great but you don't have the look to be a general authority's wife and so I can't continue on. And what he was saying was because I was fat that he and I wasn't like I wasn't as big as I am now. But like, you know, I was like plus size, you know, I was curvy. That story makes me mad every time you tell it. <laughs> it was, full disclosure, uh, no, that's a wackadoo. And we do not claim him. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I always like get so interested because like I like check people like later on in life to see like how they're doing and he's just one that like I just like go on to like the Mormon church's website and I'll like scan the apostles and I'll be like he's still not there. You mentioned that you you've been working on this yourself and Nate's helped you out. What is the best thing for friends, for family, for people close to you, what's the best thing that they can do to help you as you're striving to kind of unravel this complex PTSD? I think some of it, like with my family, I think, I think most of my problem is like understanding I'm still the person that you know, but I'm going through some things that might make me change and I'm not changing in spite of you or you know what I mean any of those things I'm changing because I have to because like I hear that a lot is like oh you've changed and it's like well yeah (laughs) you live the life that I have and like of course you're going to change of course things are going to be different and so it's just being mindful of that because like I feel like And I think the other thing is, too, is like with my family, I think the things that I've been through, while although have been very hard, um, it's no one's fault. You know what I mean? Like, because I I talked to my mom about like my grandfather going to prison and that was so traumatic for me. And my mom sometimes gets really upset because she's like. Well, there was like no instruction manual of like how to tell your children grandpa's going to jail for murdering his girlfriend while he's still married to your grandmother. You know, like 
<laughs> like there was no manual for things. And when I say this like thing really affected me, I'm not putting blame at anyone. I think I think the things that I've been through is no one's fault. Um, even the people who were perpetrators at times, like there are always underlining things that can explain it. Because like I look at my grandfather, um, he killed his girlfriend, and at the time he was a manic bipolar depressant who was treating his mental health problems through alcoholism and he just snapped and it's like yes he did this awful things but i think there is i think to just say he killed her so he's evil i don't think that is serving to the story and there's so much more at play and so it's just being so mindful of like when i say this thing hurt me it's no one's fault like there were other things at play and there were other things going on but all I'm saying is like, this upset me. I'm, I need to change some things. I need to work through these emotions, but I'm not placing blame. And I just wish family would be, would be understanding of that and not take it so personally. Um, and for friends, I think for them, I think it's very similar, but I think the other thing is too, is like, I think for friends, I'm really bad about, being in constant contact with friends i'm better with family because like i talk to my mother three times a day but with friends it's like um if i don't respond to you for a week it's probably because something bad is like emotionally taking place and like i'm just hiding out right now and so it's just being patient with me of like as i sift things out and like i will come back around but it's just going to take me a minute yeah, that makes sense. And I appreciate you always being so candid about life in general. And I appreciate it. I just don't think it's like serving to like, pretend like things are just hunky dory. And like, when in reality, it's not, I'm not a very private individual. And maybe that's my, my downfall. Like, obviously, there are things I'm very private on. Uh, but majority of my life is an open book. And I just feel like because of that narrative, it just like it helps me. I feel like it helps not only me understand myself, but it also helps like people understand my position. Because like I think a lot about my grandfather and just like the things that he was struggling. Granted, what he did was wrong. It was not a good thing. But there was just so much more at play than he killed someone. That's it. You know what I mean? And so like, I just think it's, I think it's better to be open about these things. So then it's a better picture that the person then could make a, a judgment call. No, thank, thank you so much, Katie, for being so open and sharing a very small part of your story. I am no doubt you'll be on again to share more at some point. It's been a ride. That's for sure. (laughs) And you're, you're not even halfway done. (laughs) No, I told someone the other day that like, Because my sister-in-law really feels like reincarnation might be a thing. And I was very honest with her. I said, if reincarnation's real, I'm going to be pissed. Because I really just want to take like a thousand years sleep of just like not living. (laughs) And that might sound terrible, but like 
I want to break. I really do. Like I'm only 27, but I feel like I've lived enough lifetimes for like 10 people. And like truthfully genetic or family wise, that's unsurprising. Cause my grandfather, uh, my mom's dad was very similar. He, he, he was like a cat. He had nine lives and I feel akin to him in that sense. And it's just like, man, if reincarnation's real and I come back immediately, I'm going to be pissed. I think that's fair. I think you deserve the thousand years sleep if it is real. Like here, tap out, then we'll, then we'll send you back. <laughs> yeah. Like if there is, if there is something after this and like some greater power, like I'm just going to be like negotiating, like, so I can stay here in my summer home for the next thousand years no takes backsies. I'm not going down there <laughs> or up there. I don't know which it is. Whatever, whatever way it's supposed to be. Yeah. I don't mind. <laughs> um, is there anything you wanted to share during this interview or, or with people, you know, that you didn't get a chance to earlier in the conversation? No, I don't think so. I just think like, I think the other big thing is just maintaining like a level of self care. Cause like, that's just something like I'm really learning to do. And like my cat has really been helpful is like being honest with myself because like a lot of the time I just push through and just like do X, Y, and Z. But like, it is okay to be like, Hey, it's been a hard day. I'm shutting everything off and you just need, you need a self care. And I just think that's like a huge thing is just like being mindful of your your feelings and your status and your presence and just like being like, you know what, I'm going to take the weekend and self care. And I just really hope people take that into heart and like really just look after yourself. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for tuning in. And again, thanks Katie for being on. I love to hear these stories. I love to hear your defining moments and I want to keep hearing them. If you know someone that you think should share their story, let me know at kayleespeaks.com slash podcast. And I can't wait to keep doing this and hearing more. Thanks again, Katie. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. And everyone, thank you for tuning in and have a great night.